Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 5, Passengers. Hi, everybody. Let's get right to it. Sasha, you've just finished reading Issue 5, Passengers. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Well, there's certainly some characters I don't recognize. Yeah. But there are some characters I do recognize. And also, I want to point out that I was so close in my prediction. (laughs) They mention Batman. They do. They mention Batman as a throwaway. And then Dr... Destiny? Dr. Destiny. Or John D is what he's calling himself now. Yeah, John D rides in a car as a passenger. Mm -hmm. And the justice... I I feel pretty justified in getting at least a half point on that prediction. Sure. For the mention of Batman alone. I I give you... uh, I'll give you three quarters of an imaginary point (gasps) for that. Three quarters of an imaginary point? None of it matters. None (laughs) of it matters. (laughs) On the cover, do you know who that is now that you finished? Can you take well, a guess? No, I have no idea besides Tron, uh, Mr. Clean. That's <laughs> yeah. It does. It does remind me of Mr. Clean. Yeah. Well, the chains might give it away, and uh, as Neil points out in the Dust Covers book, that actually gives you a, an idea of how big these art pieces are because those are actual chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Scott Free. That's Mr. Miracle. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I don't know who Scott Free is. But is who is Scott Free? Like, who is this character? Mr. Miracle. He's the one that... Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle. He's the one that uh, that Sandman ends up meeting. Well, let's get to that. We're back at Arkham Asylum early morning on April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. They mentioned Funeral March for a Marionette. And uh, again, I'll be honest, uh, I didn't know why that was being mentioned. I didn't understand it at all, uh, why it was brought up. It, that's actually the title of the theme to Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm-hmm. Good evening. <laughs> Does it now, say good evening, fellow tourists? Is that what he says after that? Uh, no, only in one episode, and I managed to track it down <gasps> so I can tell you exactly what happens and what he's talking about there. Okay. The full beginning is, good evening, fellow tourists. I think this proves that in some areas the airplane can never replace the train. The gentleman who tied me here was most thoughtful. In order to keep the railroad tires from chafing my hips, he put me on an anthill. And in the event I wanted to do some reading, he left me a railroad timetable. I have found it most useful. So he's tied to some train tracks. And that's why he says, well, that's why airplanes can never replace trains, because you can't tie people to airplane tracks. And the episode summary is the Templeton family is on a train. The parents offer their son Johnny one silver dollar if he can be quiet for 10 minutes while elderly cowboy Mr. Kilmer tells a story. When the train stops, Johnny sees a man outside the window caught in the blizzard and begging for help. But Johnny can't speak up because of the promise. Oh. Right? Terrible. Yeah, Uh, be careful what you wish for. That is Alfred Hitchcock Presents Season 4, Episode 2. 
our so are we calling him John D for this episode? Uh, yeah. Is that what we should call him? He explains later that his name is John D, but his mother refused to let him sully the family name and so yeah. he had to call himself Dr. Destiny. Okay. Right? But uh now he's going back to D because well, D is for lots of things. Well, John D is making his escape. Mm-hmm. And I guess he must have knocked out the night security guard through the door. Because you see the security guard lying there and he gets his gun. Yeah, I think knowing how he works, he may have just grabbed the gun and murdered him, I guess. Yeah, but that would have been a big gunshot. Oh, that's true. That's true. That would have alerted people. You're right. He probably has knocked him out somehow. I'm guessing that the protective charm that he's got helped him do that somehow. Sure. Or like he actually has the desire to leave now, which I don't know if he had before. That might be part of it, right? Yeah, I I think it's the charm. The charm is the thing that helps him do it because Arkham isn't that easy to break out of. I don't know. It seems pretty easy to break (laughs) out of. It's It's easy, but yeah. The ongoing thing is that you break out of it. (laughs) It is true. But as uh, Jonathan Crane points out, you always come back. Mm, So he's sneaking through the halls of Arkham, headed Mm -hmm. towards the dining hall, and he spots uh, none other than the Scarecrow. Jonathan Crane. Yeah, he's a Batman villain obsessed with fear. If you saw uh, Batman Begins, that movie, that was the Scarecrow with his fear gas. Mm-hmm. He describes a few phobias. They're all accurate. Yeah? Yep. Algophobia? Yes. Algophobia. I like that. I also tried to find the fear he doesn't know, which is fear of hanging. And as far as I know, there is no actual phobia for that. Mm. Fear think... of doctors, iatrophobia. Yep, absolutely. Like that. That's cool. Is mm. iatra, does that mean doctor? In, is that like Latin for doctor or something? It's from the Greek iatros is healer. Yeah. Oh, so fear of healers. Yeah, or doctors. Yeah, same thing. Hmm. So Scarecrow decides to have a conversation with him. As he's <laughs> While hanging. There. While hanging. That's his, well, he's that's got his a April Fool's joke. He's got a hook. You can see there's a hook on the back of his uh, straight jacket. Yeah. He's asking him, you know, like, Basically, what's up? Uh, shouldn't you be locked up downstairs? <laughs> and so John D. tells him that he's got his mom's amulet, which we saw in the epilogue mm-hmm. of the uh, issue four. Yeah. And he says, like, should I tell you what I'm going to do? And he's like, yeah, tell me. <laughs> and he says that he's going to go get his um, matter opticon. Materiopticon, yeah. Materiopticon. Which we've uh, talked about before. That's his, that's his ruby that powers his dream machines. Or, mm-hmm. And now it originally was being used to power machines, I guess, and uh, now is just a ruby that he uses to uh, manipulate dreams. I'll drive everybody in the whole wide world mad. Yeah. And then they'll make me king. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh and then Scarecrow says uh that that he'll have to t- that sounds scary, but he'll have to tell him all about it when he comes back. <laughs> and John D's like, like, I'm not coming back, I'm gonna destroy the world or rule it. And Scarecrow's like, eh, you always come back. <laughs> yeah. Everybody comes back here. That's cool. Scarecrow kind of understands how the rules work in the universe. Yeah, no, no, you get to it. be the bad guy and then they be you and you come back here. And uh, tell Joker to come back because we miss him, especially on April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. His jokes are the best. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Like uh, we go over to the next page because he says, oh, I've, and I left another joke. And it shows off that Jonathan Crane, the scarecrow, is not very funny. No, it's just a hanging security guard and it has a kick me sign on the yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John D. breaks out. We get these four little panels of him escaping. And I want to note that he does climb over a barbed wire fence while naked. Yeah. 
possibly protected by that amulet, that little charm. Oh, that would make sense because he's not all torn up. Yeah. On the other side. Or it could also be that he's already physically torn up and just doesn't care because it looks mm. like his body's really decrepit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he stops a car and uh, it's being driven by Rosemary. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells her that he's a doctor and she has to trust him. <laughs> Which is why you should never trust anyone who says, trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And then we switch to this very weird, very brightly colored uh, story that I pretty much in no way understood because I right. don't know the character at all. So right. I was like, why is there like a Tron Caillou thing happening? <laughs> I did not know what was going on exactly. We find out a few pages later, this is the dream of Scott Free, who is known as Mr. Miracle, okay. uh, a member of the Justice League. This is a dream about Apocalypse. It's a planet ruled by the villain Darkseid. He rules through tyrannical fear, and he wants to conquer the universe and eliminate free will. Apocalypse first appeared in the New Gods number one in February of 1971. It was created by the famous, the amazing Jack Kirby. He created this whole New Gods pantheon, and I believe had four different series covering it. One of them was Mr. Miracle. The woman that you see there, Granny Goodness, runs Darkseid's training facility for his elite soldiers, where she uses brainwashing and torture in a brutal parody of childcare to turn the innocent into fanatical warriors willing to kill or die for Darkseid's glory. Mm. Uh, her first appearance was Mr. Miracle, Volume 1, Number 2, in May of 1971. Later, we see the uh, others who tried to escape as we move through. You can see Scott Free who, by the way, one of his kind of powers, he has many powers. He's, he's very superhumanly strong, uh, agile. He's a genius uh, inventor. But his big thing is he is the greatest escape artist in the world. Oh. He's, he is one of the few people in DC who actually has a skill greater than Batman. Okay. Batman admits Scott Free is better at being an escape artist than Batman. And the reason is because this dream he's having is pretty much a representation of his life. Granny Goodness tortured him, humiliated him, put him through all sorts of horrible, terrible traps and devices that he had to break out of in order to survive. And he became the greatest escape artist doing that. So, okay, so this thing where he's getting put into the murder machine, that's like part of his training? I believe of- so. I couldn't track down. Uh, there. A lot of this is covered in, I believe, Secret Origins number 33, which was actually printed in December of 1988. So not too much before this in that they covered the secret origin of Mr. Miracle. I do know that Orly, the woman at the end that uh, didn't make it, was also in that. I believe that uh, she also died that way and was somebody that he cared for. But again, I haven't read it. Uh, There's not a lot of information that I could find about that online. But basically, he's having nightmares of his upbringing. Is he an alien? Yeah, he is uh, one of the new gods. Scott Free, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle, was created by Jack Kirby for his New Gods saga. He first appeared in Mr. Miracle number one in April 1971. Scott is the son of the leader of the kind of good new gods, Mm -hmm. and he was exchanged in this weird sort of foster agreement with Orion, who was the son of Darkseid, the evil new god, to maintain peace between these two worlds. So very like Game of Thrones, trading sons, keeping them as wards. 
And uh, the good guy version of kind of dark side is called the High Father. And he raised Orion up. Orion's actually, you may have seen him in some of the animated Justice Leagues. He flies around on these little discs on his feet kind of, that come up together to a little handlebar thing on the top. And he's got this silver helmet. He's very super strong. High Father raised him to be a good guy. But because he's the son of Darkseid, he's kind of brutal about it. But he's mm. generally a good person. Scott Free was, uh, as you saw through that dream, that Darkseid tried to turn him into one of his mighty warriors. But he actually ended up escaping to Earth. And so on Earth, he's a superhero who's joined the Justice League. But he looks, of course, uh, thanks a lot to uh, white males being the default, like a white male human. Hmm. Okay. When his dream starts to get the scariest, because he doesn't know his name or his name is Granny's joke, who saves him but Sandy? Yeah. He picks him up like a little child yeah. and saves him. It's over, child. You can wake up now. Right. It's kind of odd. He has to wait for the dream to be done. That's what it feels yeah, like. It's kind of a dick. He's like, I want to see this through. Let's check, see where this goes. Right. <gasps> or rather, maybe he just knows he needs to go to the justice league mm -hmm. and so he kind of steps into the dream world of the justice league right. in that moment well we we see him travel through dreams quite often now that mm -hmm. he he hops around between dreams so the way that he shows up is uh in scott free's bedroom sitting on his bed yeah so he's sitting on his bed and he looks a lot like um like his like a fuzzy tv mm -hmm. like a fuzzy image on tv when everything else is sharp and then He's got these little dots and lines, like yeah, he's not fully rendered. Yeah, kind of feels like a, a Star Trek transporter that he's kind of beaming in and, and becoming more real. That's true. That's that's true. The name that he's using, Scott Free, it was a, a joke you'll given by- You'll get off Scott Free. Yeah, you'll get off Scott Free. Uh, that's actually from Old English Scott Freo, which means exempt from royal tax. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. And so we don't know what his real name is. He And he doesn't know what his true name is. Okay. He, he wants to find his true name, yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Well, basically, Sandy says to him, like, hey, I'll be your friend, but I need my ruby. And he looks real ominous when he says it. Like, he's saying, like, I'm a friend, but those are not friendly eyes or eyebrows. <laughs> the, the I have come to reclaim something of mine, a ruby. Yeah. Yeah. Over the page, we jump to John D. and Rosemary going for a little uh, nighttime ride. Mm -hmm. And she just shouts at him and says, like, if you lay a hand on me, my husband's a mafia hitman and he'll kill you, which I think is really good quick thinking on her part. Mm -hmm. And he just holds the gun up at her and she just gets really scared. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Well, he's got the gun up at her the whole time, if you notice in those top three panels. Oh, he's, yeah. He's just holding at her and all, he's looking around. He's looking at the stars, looking out the window. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to scare her, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and so she asks if he's escaping from prison. He says, no, the madhouse. And she's like, oh. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, maybe that's worse. Uh, yeah. Is that worse or is that better? And then she kind of needs to figure that out. Um, and he tells her about his mother dying and how, and she's like, why are you naked? Because I've been wondering this this whole time. Like, why is he naked? I'm glad she asked. And apparently they take away all of his clothes so he can't hang himself. Right. Maybe they should have taken away the scarecrow's clothes. <laughs> well, I think the scarecrow broke out to do that. I don't think he was hanging in his own cell because he killed the <laughs> yeah, guard. Yeah, remember? he was in the dining hall. So. so he was able to get access to clothes after he got out. I mean, what makes you take a job as a guard at Arkham Asylum? 
We saw how many of them died that night. Yeah. At least two. Well, it seems like there are not a lot of good job opportunities in Gotham City, because Mm -hmm. if you don't do that, you end up being a thug for a criminal, which is also not a good idea, because eventually the Batman's going to beat the crap out of you. Yeah. And we have our uh, credits on this page, which I haven't mentioned yet. Of course, uh, Neil Gaiman, the writer. We actually have a different artist uh, this time, Sam Keith and Malcolm Jones III. Daniel Vaza with the colors, Todd Klein with the letters, Karen Berger, editor. And there is a note, Mr. Miracle, created by Jack Kirby. Mm. And Art Young as assistant editor. I'm just still really thinking about about Gotham and like if there's something that Batman could be doing to stimulate their economy. I know. Besides punching dudes literally, who are mentally ill. Literally a billionaire. Besides Gosh, beating only... up the mentally ill at night. Yeah. <laughs> someone smarter than me can figure out how Batman could fix the economy. Regardless, he's Colt, John D, not Batman. And Rosemary says, well, there's a, my husband's jackets in the back. You can wear that. And, uh, and that was very nice of her. It feels like she's going through all sorts of ways to try to keep herself alive here, right? Yeah, she so she threatens him at him. first, and now she's like, oh, well, now I'm going to try empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And by what he's saying, like, I think she's making the right move here. Mm-hmm. She's assuming that, oh, maybe this guy actually isn't very dangerous. He's holding a gun to me, but he d- he doesn't want me to be scared. He doesn't, you know, yeah. he's probably not really going to hurt me. Right. Yeah. So I'll just take care of him and act like a friend. Meanwhile, back at the Justice League headquarters. Uh, I think they're calling it an embassy. So what's going on in Justice League right now was really interesting. I actually collected this comic at the time as well. They had turned the Justice League of America into Justice League International. Mm-hmm. And it actually played up the comedy angle quite a bit. They made a few uh, interesting changes because they didn't have access to certain characters because they were being revamped by other creators at the time. Uh, they couldn't do uh, Superman because John Byrne was rewriting his origin at the time. They couldn't use Aquaman because he was in flux at the time. So a lot of those original Justice League members, they couldn't bring into this. Okay. So they decided to kind of mix it up and have fun with it. I remember one of the things was Captain Marvel, who now they've finally just fully named Shazam, I think, to distance themselves from Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. actually had Billy Batson, the young boy that turns into Captain Marvel. Yeah. He actually kept his his mind. So he was this young boy in this giant, hulking, basically (laughs) magical Superman body who would be like, oh, gosh, like he was like really kind of played up for funny. Uh, They had uh, one of the secondary Green Lanterns named Guy Gardner, Mm -hmm. who was actually like this abrasive, obnoxious dick. Yeah. Who would like go off on Batman (laughs) and uh, challenge him to a fight. He said, I won't even use my ring. And then Batman hits him and he drops the drops to the floor. <laughs> like, And so Blue Beetle is laughing his like bottom off, just like, oh, my God, one punch. <laughs> it was uh, I loved it. It was a wonderful recreation. So there's kind of some funny bits going on there. And they're all over the world. So they have different places. Prior to this, as noted, I believe on this page, they had a satellite, which mm-hmm. was where they would... They could beam up and down. You've Again, that shows up in uh, some of the animated series and things if people have seen more of those. Because I know those are a little bit more accessible to people. They have So they could beam things? They have a teleportation device? They did on the satellite. I can't oh. remember if they did how they got around in the embassies because I can't. Uh, it's been a while since I've actually read them. But All yeah. Right. So they, but they do mention that they are uh, at the embassy there. 
And in this, uh, our miracle man dude mm-hmm. is, uh, he's on like a super awesome bank of computers. Yeah. That whole idea that they're like built up. They look like arcade games. Yeah. 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 In, in a circle. Ugh. Love Welcome it. Welcome to 1989. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he finds out, yeah, that the Ruby has been held on their satellite, but that satellite was space junk and it's been destroyed, mm-hmm. which is not good news for the Ruby. Right. So there is a mention of Batman on this page. There is. Uh, Miracle's like, oh, man, who could I ask to help out with this? And he's like, oh, it's 3.30 a.m. He'll be at work. Batman's going to be at work? Yeah. three. It's, it's middle of the night. That's when he works in the dark. Oh, yeah. Well, doesn't that mean he might have like a radio on him or something? Uh, maybe, but uh, probably only for extreme emergencies or something. It, it it always depends, right? If they need him to have some kind of way to be contacted, they can. And mm-hmm. if they don't, they don't. Okay. I guess that makes sense. That's kind of how comics work. <sighs> I just really wanted Batman to show up. But I guess Batman being mentioned was good enough. Yeah. Who else, though, could they talk to? You know, Who else was in the old Justice League of America? Lots of people, actually. Mm-hmm. There were seven founding members. Oh, I've only watched the Justice League animated series, mm-hmm. which is quite good. And in that one, oh, the yeah, members are, well, it's quite big, actually. Justice League is large, but they kind of have their little core group mm-hmm. that you follow in the show. And that's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Hawkman and Hawkwoman. Yep. The Flash. And I don't remember. Maybe The Martian? Maybe the Martian in the animated series. Yeah. So the original seven members were Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, and The Flash. Mm, Definitely not Aquaman. Oh, maybe Aquaman. I believe he showed up. They found him and he was cool. He had a whole storyline where he got his hand cut off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was so badass. Like I'm used to seeing Aquaman in like the dorky outfit and people making fun of him. Yeah. But in this one, Aquaman was like full badass under the sea with a trident and a killer beard Mm -hmm. and like yeah it was pretty badass and then he got a big hook where his hand was yeah yeah when he would come back later so he wasn't a constant member but he would occasionally be a member people make fun of aquaman saying oh you control fish but they forget that he's also like super strong and near invulnerable and on top uh, of that the ocean covers most of the planet yeah yeah yeah. and fish are cool Mm mm-hmm also, sharks are fish. Okay. <laughs> uh, marlins have big, swordy faces. I, need I go on? <laughs> Cephalopods are incredibly intelligent. Okay. That's right. Summon the, the cuttlefish. <laughs> to cuddle you. <laughs> I mean, he can summon a kraken, right? Like, if he wanted to? He has. Yeah. Oh, he good. has summoned giant monsters from the deep. Yes. Okay. So stop making fun of Aquaman. Or actually, rather, keep making fun of Aquaman. He can take it. Because he's yeah. badass. Yeah, Aquaman doesn't care if you think he's a goof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're back to the car, and they're chatting. This is when we find out Rosemary's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Rosemary is for remembering. Yeah. In Hamlet, Act 4, Scene 5, Page 8, is when Ophelia has lost her mind. And okay. she's wandering around giving out flowers and things to people. Mm-hmm. And she says, there's Rosemary. That's for remembrance. Pray you love, remember. And there's pansies. That's for thoughts. Oh. In myths, Rosemary has a reputation for improving memory and has been used as a symbol for remembrance during war commemorations and funerals in Europe and Australia. Mourners would throw it into graves as a symbol of remembrance for the dead. Mm. 
Well, in my own anecdotal experience, rosemary is very, very good for chicken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, they're just introducing themselves, and he's he's talking about how um, he would call himself Doctor Destiny because his mom said he wasn't allowed to call himself <laughs> uh, Johnny D, um, right. the Dream Boy. Uh, and he says, "I was a real doctor, not a medical one, a scientist one." And she has some sandwiches in the back seat, and mm-hmm. he doesn't apparently he doesn't get very hungry anymore. Yeah. Uh, I- I don't know if that's a side effect of him being held in Arkham like that, or maybe now he's got the, uh, the again, the amulet maybe protects him from hunger. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I, I wonder if if his breakout, do you think that's the same night that he got the amulet from his mother? Is that supposed to be like a continuation of that same scene where the security guard comes to him and brings him his mother's amulet, and then he immediately like takes the guy out? Do you think this was all just one continuous thing? That scene was at night, so it is possible that that happened on the same night, yeah, that he got it and then instantly did that, in which case I think he wouldn't know that he doesn't get hungry anymore. So if that's true, then it's probably just, well, all I do is sit in my little solitary cell, so I don't really eat very much. Mm. I'm not sure. Well, now they drive past a sign for Night of the Living Dead Yeah. and Zombie Woof. Is that really a movie? Is that real? Zombie Wolf is actually a Frank Zappa song. Oh. That definitely fits uh, our sleeplessness theme. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Rosemary asks him if he has AIDS. Yeah. And that's... he says, helpers? <laughs> well, he's been locked up in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> this being the late 80s, this is when the AIDS epidemic was in full swing. Oh, yeah. And uh, really nothing to be done. People dying all over the place. And you couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's why... She asks, like, if, if that's yeah. why he looks like that. And he says, no, I've just been locked up in maximum security, <laughs> the basement of Arkham. And apparently that's what uh, Arkham Asylum does to you. He describes what he did. I did foolish things to gravity, to identity. I traded their faces with their enemies. I pretended I was one of their number. All of these are basically accurate depictions of what he did. Did he pretend to be a member of the Justice League? He impersonated the Green Lantern. Whoa. I like how in this little monologue where he's talking about what he did his face looks so much more skull-like because of yeah. the the light which looks more like his old look right exactly it's the, it's less that empathetic uh, eyebrows up big wide open eyes and more yeah skull mask mm-hmm. now do a lot of the bad guys in the justice league or in in the comic world do they call the good guys like the costumes uh, occasionally, yeah, I don't think it happens a lot. The, uh, probably heroes or superheroes. Um, 
both DC and Marvel kind of co-own the trademark on the word superhero, which is why you're not going to find anybody else calling their powered super people superheroes. It's oh. kind of weird and annoying, actually. Which yeah. is why you get why you get the word capes and costumes and things like that. Although here in a DC one, he says the costumes, yeah. They just want all the names. They just want to own them all. All of them. She fills him in on the fact that they've changed now. They're international. They have embassies. Mm-hmm. And they're called the JLI. Justice, Justice League, League International. International, yeah. And he's like, as you say, it was a long time ago because he doesn't remember. Five years. So knock, knock, surprise. Who is the Justice League member that they're going to talk to? One of the original members. It's the Martian. John Jones, a.k.a. the Martian Manhunter, first appeared in Detective Comics number 225, The Manhunter from Mars, in November of 1955. Wow. He is one of the seven original members of the original Justice League. In the new JLI series, he was used as the straight man with all the comedy going around him because he didn't really understand human comedy that much and he just yeah. wanted to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, he is incredibly powerful. Uh, I'm not even going to bother to really list his powers because he's basically got a grab bag of things that he can do. He's basically physically a, like like Superman, that he's invulnerable and super strong and can fly. He can turn ghost-like. He can shape change. He can read minds. I believe he actually kind of operated like a telepathic switchboard for the whole team at one point. Yeah. Keeping people connected and has all these other powers that just kind of show up when they need it. He's it's really weird to kind of get a hold on what he can and can't do. However, his one weakness is fire. If you attack him with a flamethrower and he doesn't get out of the way, he will burn and possibly die. Wow. That is a Martian weakness. Uh, and But Superman once described him as the most powerful being on the planet. It's funny because I don't feel like he often gets played up as with as many of those powers. It's true, yeah. I've definitely seen him do the like the ghost form thing where he loses mass density or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the shape changing is a really popular one for that. Yep. And he can fly. I've seen him do that. Now, in the new Supergirl show, mm-hmm. the Martian is a really, like, central character. Yeah. He's one of the lead characters in it. And he's trying to stay a secret for most of at least season one, keep his identity secret. I'm not going to spoil who it is. Hmm. Uh, you should watch that show. It's Supergirl. is great. I like it, but yeah. But one thing I've noticed, though, is I've never seen him do the ghost form thing on that show. I've seen him do psychic attacks, mm-hmm. and I've seen him shape change a lot. That's a big part of it, and be strong and fly and whatnot, although I don't think he's quite as strong as Supergirl. In in that universe, yeah. I think they want to keep her as the primary tough superhero. Yeah. yeah. He also doesn't seem fully invulnerable. Yeah, I've never seen him, like, phase between walls or do anything like that. Yeah. And in case anybody's wondering, he, as you can probably tell from this, he actually is from Mars. Yeah. 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 I believe he's not just been transported from Mars in space, basically, but also in time, that the Martian civilization existed thousands of years ago. Yeah. And that when he got brought to Earth, he also got pulled through time as that race was being destroyed, I think. That but, would make sense as to why we don't see their cities and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be the last, of course, but then all these exceptions show up. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's how storytelling works I mean, in that's, comics. that's kind of also how Superman... Yeah, exactly. I'm the last of my planet. All of a sudden, here comes a whole ship full of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so he sees we get a we get another uh chance to see how Sandman how Sandy looks differently in other people's eyes. Right. And he sees Sandman as this sort of floating flaming Martian, Martian skull. skull. Yeah. Yeah. And what does he call him? Lord Lazoral. Lazoral. Mm-hmm. Hmm. May you guard us in the darkness and on the pathway between waking hours and protect us in dreams from the flame of your wrath. Oh, and they're obviously they're vulnerable to flame. So it's like that's yeah. the one really scary thing they could do. Mm-hmm. And even Sandman thought the Martians were gone. Yeah. 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 I thought yeah. your guys were eons gone. But you'll notice even though there's this giant flaming skull there, Mr. Miracle does not seem to be weirded out at all. He doesn't he notice. He can't see it, yeah. Right. So it's it really seems like people looking at the Sandman see them the way that they would their their culture would see that person. Well, even over over the next page on the bottom panel, when after he disappears, you actually get to see him disappear twice in how each of them yeah. would see it, right? So he fades out, the the flame fades out. Uh, in the Martian's vision mm-hmm. and where the spot where Sandman was standing sort of fizzles out and smolders away. Yeah, yeah. Where Scott Free could see him. Right. And uh, the Martian Manhunter, John Jones, actually knows where it probably is in storage in a little town called Mayhew. Which if you, if you flip the W, it says Mayhem. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And he describes him as an old god, a very old god, and then invites him into the kitchen because he has a secret stash of Oreos. This is established Martian Manhunter canon because of the comedy bits of the Justice League International. Yeah. He was introduced to Oreos by Shazam, Captain Marvel, okay. and became basically not addicted in a bad way, but it became his one little, I love Oreos, and would just keep eating Oreos. Does the Martian need food to survive Can uh i i don't think he probably needs it to survive but he, he does eat he mm-hmm. certainly it loves oreos i remember that from the run i mean if you're gonna wake up in the middle of the night because of bad dreams and other dream related drama i think oreos are the right snack to have oh yeah oreos and some nice ice cold milk love it well count me out on the milk but the rest <laughs> of it sounds great well i my body produces lactase even before when i like was i'm to the listener, I'm lactose intolerant. But even before when I could have milk without feeling sick, I didn't really drink it. it milk was all about making the cereal not dry, <laughs> you know? It wasn't about drinking. Ugh. Ugh. I feel gross just thinking about drinking milk, actually. It makes me, like, gag. <laughs> Sounds gross. <laughs> and so we're back to the car, mm-hmm. back to the the passengers in the car. And so we're 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 f- hearing the whole story about why uh, John D didn't use his real name and how his mom said it would bring shame on the family. Mm-hmm. And now that his mother's dead, he can do that. And he mentions more like D. D is now for I can be D again. D is for lots of things. Yeah. Death, dust, darkness, demons, and that just reminds me of the the endless and how all their names begin with D. Yeah, yeah, and really big connection there for sure. And Rosemary tells him that it, she actually has two little girls. 
And if mm-hmm. they wanted to be master criminals, they would have to change their name. So she, she kind of pulls the mom card and is like, I think your mom was right. Right. This is also a thing to do if somebody takes you hostage is to try to get them to empathize with you. You use names. You talk about your family. Right. You try to get them to realize that you are a person deserving to live. So she's actually making like not just having a conversation with him. She's trying to empathize to mm-hmm. stay alive. Mm hmm. And he just kind of cuts off this conversation about her children by saying, I'm not a black magician. Yeah. And she's like, I, I didn't say you were. <laughs> but apparently the other scientists called him that. Mm-hmm. And he really doesn't like being called a magician. He's a hermetic philosopher. Yeah. What does hermetic mean? Hermeticism, which is what a hermetic philosopher would follow, is an ancient spiritual, philosophical, and magical tradition. Uh, It's about spiritual growth. Uh, It considers humanity to be on a spiritual journey to return to a state of unity with the divine. And uh, I believe Isaac Newton actually claimed to be one. Hmm. It was kind of the... It feels like the meeting between science and the pre-scientific tradition, like a a way to try to fuse the two of them, to not abandon the old while still investigating the new. So the idea that like learning about the universe is going to lead us to completing our own, like the journey of our souls. Right, right. And like that's a part of, yeah, like marriaging, the marriage of science and spirituality-based religions. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, he's very defensive about being a scientist, mm-hmm. um, but that he couldn't do what he did without his ruby. And he asks, he asks Rosemary what uh, what she thinks dreams are made of, mm-hmm. and she says that they're just dreams. And he's very insistent that they aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think dreams aren't real because they aren't made of matter, of particles. Dreams are real, but they are made of viewpoints, of images, of memories, and puns and lost hopes. Yeah. And then he talks about what the ruby does with that on the next page. The ruby turns them into matter. It forces them to translate themselves into forms we can recognize in this world. This is Dream's ruby he's talking about. This is a massively powerful artifact that this one mad human has somehow managed to not just learn how to use, but to focus on himself. He, He mentions now that he's tinkered with it so much that nobody else can use it anymore. Nobody but me. Yeah, he 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 added circuitry and he irradiated it and forced flaws. And later on, when we do see the ruby, we can see it's full of little imperfections and chips and mm-hmm. scratches. And they're five miles away from Mayhew. Mayhew secretly mayhem. Uh, and so our second passenger reference of the story yeah. is uh, a nice like one page spread of how Dream travels to Mayhew. And he's hopping on different people's dreams and traveling in them. And I I think you really like it. At one point, he's riding a train Mm -hmm. um, from Manhattan. And then he gets on a bus. And And the driver. uh, Yeah. And he sits up at the front and he's hanging out with the the driver, which is kind of like a Jack Skellington type with the... Yeah. With the... uh, Some kind of pumpkin head guy. mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's a dog who's dreaming of a former life where he was, <laughs> he sailed on tall ships. Through your dreams, my sleeping children, you had a passenger and you never knew. Yeah. And then the security guard asleep outside Mayhew storage. 
Mm -hmm. So he heads in and, oh, there are so many interesting things in this storage locker. Right. We know a few of these. Uh, Thanks again to the Sandman annotations by Ralph Hildebrandt and Greg Morrow. The giant keyholes are related to the villain The Key. The giant Joker card is related to the villains The Royal Flush Gang. Uh, And the humanoid in the case is the robot Amazo. And that's the one thing that actually surprises me to be in this little dinky storage house in Mayhew. Amazo is a ridiculously powerful android. Oh, and he's just put in a little... And he's just like in a, a, I don't know, some kind of storage, yeah. I'm very curious about the tentacle. Not sure what that is. It might be a piece of Starro, but if it is, I believe Starro regenerates from pieces, so that would be really dangerous to have just hanging around there. Uh, I have no idea what the cow is or uh, the other parts. I tried to look up the pipe organ in the back. I couldn't find anything that that's related to. Uh, If anybody knows what these are, if you're a big Justice League aficionado and can recognize more of these pieces, please let us know. Email us at thedreaming at motivedust.com or post on our Facebook page and let us know. That'd be great. I think the comment section of this episode would be a good place for you to contemplate what these different items are and uh, have that discussion with us. Dream gets in here and he just reaches right into a box where he feels his ruby is. Mm -hmm. And he pulls it out at last. And he's looking at it and we can, for the first time, we can see all these little flaws. Mm -hmm. And then he does some like shiny. He does this shiny eye mojo on it and it hits the ruby, but it's bad. It's a bad reaction that he did not expect. And it, it basically looks like it shoots a bunch of blindy red light at him right and he drops it and he he screams and he hits the ground and he falls over and uh and i think he loses consciousness yeah the ruby there is left on the floor and it's kind of smoldering and sparking which i don't think it's supposed to do that i think that uh john d messed that ruby up something good mm-hmm now, the next page, oh, I gasped I remember. out loud when I was reading it because <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I was not expecting this to happen. And so uh, I, I guess I was just as Stockholm syndromed as this uh, as Rosemary was. Well, he seemed so polite. He apologized and didn't want to scare her. Yeah. He kind of engaged in conversation. She empathized. And when she empathized with him, she was also empathizing with us. She was also making us like know that she was a person who has children and a husband and wants to live. And she seems to feel a little sorry for him. He And, and he, he was so forthcoming about all of his intentions. Yeah. About all of his plans that it just didn't, yeah, it didn't seem like he was going to kill her, I guess. Although maybe him being so forthcoming should be proof that he was going to kill her. I don't know, but I wasn't expecting it. And I gasped. Uh, so they pull up, though, and she she says that he can keep the coat. And he says, uh, is he actually, a, is your husband actually in the mafia? And she said, no, I just said that to you and I thought you were dangerous or crazy or something. And uh, then he says... Well, I don't suppose it would have made any difference either way. And he shoots her. And that was very sad. When that right. Happened. Remember what the uh, promise title of this one was, of Monsters and Miracles. So oh. Miracle Man is the miracle. And he's the monster. He is a monster. Ah. Well, he walks in uh, singing his name, or DDD, hello, my baby. And he sees the ruby, and he picks it up, and he says... Did a naughty man try to use my baby? He didn't know that you were mine these days. 
all mine, every glint and facet. It's very Smeagol. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or Golem. Well, very well, Golem. Yeah. Yeah. And he has. Uh, he notes that the, the ruby has picked up extra power from somewhere. So that's why it's glowing and smoldering, I guess, that it has weakened Dream. It has taken more of his power. It took his mojo. He did the eyeball mojo at the ruby. Yeah. Like I said, he did the eyeball mojo. And instead of getting mojo back from the ruby, the ruby just done took it all. Yeah, this does not bode well for somebody who, like now somebody who said he's going to make the world go mad and become its king now has an even more powerful ruby. Yeah, he's got it all juiced up. The battery's on full. Yeah. Uh, and so he uh, he heads to an all-night 24-hour diner. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to, uh, he's going to wait. And I'm, I'm not really sure what he's waiting for. I guess just the end of the world. But I thought he was going to cause the end of the world. So I'm a little confused by what that. Well, he starts at the, the very top of that last page. So go, my little love, touch the world, eat their hearts and poison their dreams, rip their nightmares into the daylight and scum their sleep with creeping fear. So he doesn't have to go out into the world to do it. He's going to go into a diner, I guess. And he just told the Ruby to do all that yeah. for him. He's just going to chill and drink coffee while the world burns. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Oh, you know, the usual, the end of the world. Hmm. Next, waiting for the end of the world. Now, like the last one, it's not actually titled Waiting for the End of the World. The title is 24 Hours. 24 Hours. Okay. I actually have just got a, yeah, I've got a prediction and it's pun based. Okay, let's go. So, Waiting for the End of the World is not just that he is waiting for the end of the world, but there's going to be... His waitress in the diner is going to be a major character because she is waiting as a waitress for the end of the world. And my prediction, whatever happens in the story, my prediction is that it over the course of 24 hours in this space or whatever, she is a major character throughout the next storyline. And I don't know exactly how that works, but she definitely is a major character. Okay, as the there's your prediction for the mm-hmm. next episode. I will note to people who are going to read this, I'm not going to give any distinct content warnings. Get ready for some darkness. Be uh, be comfortable and uh, ready for a horror story when mm. you read this next one. Spooky. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue five, Passengers. For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and please tell your friends. Our theme music is Onerai by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up.